This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. The Penn Wharton budget model has completed a review of President Biden's American Families Plan, the $1.8 trillion package that includes things like two years of free community college, universal preschool, support around child care, paid family leave, and more. The plan would primarily be paid for by a variety of tax increases. Richard Prisanzano is Director of Policy Analysis for the Penn Wharton Budget Model, and he joins us to discuss what they found out. Hi, Richard. How are you? I'm doing great, Dan. How about yourself? I'm good, and, and I guess I need to start with the, the, the headline number right off the top. Uh, President Biden and the administration have called this a $1.8 trillion package. You say it's actually going to be more in the end. Tell us about this. Yeah, so I think, you know, uh, I think the, the bulk of the difference there is is two key provisions that, that you mentioned, the um, free two years of community college and um, the free universal pre-K. So if we just go with the numbers that, that the administration has put forward, you know, roughly 12000 or $13,000 for universal pre-K, and, and you talk about the number of kids that they're talking about, $5 million a year, and you do just, just a demographic projection, you end up with more than the the money that they've allocated. Uh, so same thing with, with the community college. I think if you take the a, a number of people that are in community college now and, and you have uh, modest take-up rates in terms of new people entering community college, again, you end up with a bigger number than what they've allocated. Um, and that, that's the bulk of the difference in our, in our cost estimate. Um, you know, some other things, kind of small differences, but those, those themselves account for about $400 billion of difference. So then we're going from 2.5 versus 1.8 to 2.1-ish to 1.8, which, you know, as, as you know, I think is, is pretty close for the, the numbers we're talking about. Um, you know, but those are those are the big the big differences. And, and again, I think the administration may have, you know, ideas. They may expect the states to pick up some of that. But the way that we felt right. we went with the policy, universal pre-K and free college, community college for everyone that that has a bigger cost than what they've they've put forth. Right. If you go by the lay of the letter there, uh, they uh, have to be responsible for all of it. And you said the states may pick it up, pick up a portion of it at some point. But at least on the uh, on the, you know, the baseline information, it would be a little bit of a higher number. Yeah. And, you know, again, I think it's, you know, you know, these things, again, way we're thinking about all these things is that, you know, they could be taking we don't know how they're doing the spending or how they're thinking about the spending. You know whether they're just flatlining and they're just going to put a certain amount of money each year. The way that we read this was that it was going to be a continuing policy, and and again our model, you know our demographic changes, who we have for 18 to 23 year olds and who we have for three and four year olds, that can differ from the the administration. Um, but again, I think that that the expectation would be that the, that the the ultimate cost of those things would be a bit higher than what they've they've allocated. Okay, um, a couple so that, of the couple. I do want oh, to with. We coupled with that, I think, you know, the those are two things that, that we would call productive spending. You know, extra right. education on either end of the, the the school, you know, the school life, you know, pre-K or, or college, will, you know, makes workers more productive. And that does kind of offset some of that cost, um, you know, as, as workers become more efficient and things like that. Right. Uh, we're joined by Richard Prisanzano, Director of Policy Analysis for the Penn Wharton Budget Model. Uh, I certainly, I, I think, Two of the other areas that will be looked at a lot uh, will be the impact on GDP and the impact on debt. Where does this plan stand in both of those areas? Yeah, so, you know, ultimately, again, you know, talking out in, in, in 2050, we sort of take, you know, all these things in full effect. Um, 
you know, there's a, a what I would call a modest drop in GDP. It's is roughly um, uh, point. It's a drop of 0.4 percent from from what we'd expect from a baseline um, in 2050. And you know, just for magnitude, um, that is a, a you know a little bit smaller in magnitude than what we saw in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act in the opposite direction. So there we saw you know roughly a 0.6 increase in GDP. Here we're seeing a minus 0.4. Um, decrease. And so, again, we describe that as, rel- you know, neutral, having not a much effect. That's the same thing here. It's a, it's a modest decrease. Um, you know, and the, and the debt, you know, the, the effects are, are, are real. There is an increase in the debt. That's part of what the drag in GDP is. Um, but again, there's, there's, there's other things here that are happening. They're, again, what we're calling productive uh, spending, and that's offsetting some of these, these extra debt costs that, it, you know, again, if it was, if they were just dumping the money into the ocean, the debt would obviously be be swamping any other effect. Sure, right. Um, so, as I mentioned at the top, uh, the expectation is that uh, some level of tax increase in a variety of different areas would end up being uh, part of the uh, the funding of this. So, on the tax side, what are the takeaways from uh, from the plan? Well, so you know, I think the the big one. I think so. They they move in in what I think most tax economists. Um, would think it was a good direction. They're handling, um, you know, taxing capital gains at death. I think there's there's real money there in terms of, uh, you know, people can defer into estates and avoid taxes. And then you have what's called stepped up basis, where if that if I'm giving given a stock by say, you know, relative that's passed away, um, I don't have to pay the basis all the way down. I get whatever the basis is when, when it's transferred to me, and that saves a lot of of taxes um, for the receiver of that gift. Um, but but here they're saying you know that's going to be a realization event. There's going to be um, taxes on that, and we're going to end stepped up basis. And I think that's a real uh, valuable change. And there's revenue there. And I think most people would call that a bit of a loophole um, that very wealthy people can take advantage of. I think there's there's other things right. here too with the the change in um, uh, the Medicare tax, the 3.8 percent. That's a similar thing where if you you can take certain actions to avoid some of the employment and Medicare taxes. And here they're trying to get at um, fixing some of those. So in looking at the plan as a whole, what are the overall economic impacts that you see? Because you have certain areas that, that you focus on. GDP, we mentioned. Hourly wages is another one. Uh, the overall increase in government debt, et cetera. Yes, yeah, so we, you know, again, we see the, the, the wage we expect actually to go up a little bit. Again, you know, very modest increase, and, and some of that effect will, will die out over time. But initially, you know, as as again, it's like a um, as as capital becomes um, uh, more expensive, as some of the taxes on on those those capital gains, workers become more valuable, and so you, there there's that wage that goes up uh, for for workers that dies out over time as some of the the debt effects take over. Um, you know, we we again, but I would call it a modest uh, a modest increase there. Similarly, hours worked is a modest decrease. So again, you can kind of see these things like well, I'm making a little bit more money, so I'm going to work a little bit less, and I'm going to be the same essentially is what I think is happening um, in our model. And again, I would call this very neutral on those things. Um, you know, distributionally, I think these, the, the tax changes hit the people that, that, you know, by design that, that the administration has said high income earners, you know, no one below 400,000. I mean, I think that causes some problems with some yeah. of the tax provisions that they have in here. But again, I think that that is, you know, distributionally, you know, these, these taxes are hit by the, uh, are going to be borne by the, the, the ultra wealthy here or the, or the very wealthy. So IRS funding is part of this as well, which many people would say is, 
is long overdue. Uh, you know, you need to modernize the system. Uh, but obviously, a lot of the conversation recently has been around collecting some of the lost tax revenue that has, you know, just kind of been out there uh, in recent years. Yeah, no, this is a big one. I mean, the tax gap has kind of been been talked about. And again, I think some of these things with like the the three point eight percent, I think is 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 kind of getting at that too. But yeah, they have two big pieces in the enforcement. They have like strict funding to just kind of get the IRS up to speed. So, you know, better uh, computers and, and information, you know, like literally like the, the, the sort of the capital that the IRS would use. Also some training for auditors and, and things like that. And th- those have a real return that, um, you know, that the Congressional Budget Office has, has estimated. And those are, those are real things. The other piece here is that they've sort of signaled that they're going to have, they're going to propose a, a change in information reporting on tax returns. And so with more information, you know, typically an IRS auditor could get that information in an audit, but here they're going to provide it before an audit. And so this, they think that this is going to allow them to better select people to audit and then have the audits be, uh, you know, have a higher return because of that. And so, you know, these are, these are real things that, that, that have an effect. Um, and we've built that in. I think our number is a little bit lower, partly because of a, of a timing thing. But again, I think that these are real changes. And I think most people uh, agree that um, there is real revenue there with one funding the IRS and then two changing how uh, tax information is reported um, to the IRS. It really does. It really does kind of show, I guess, Richard, uh, you know, we've talked so much with you at times and, and with other people about the importance of data in this day and age. And it feels like to a degree that the IRS is is one of the more important agencies that's kind of playing catch up in this area. No, that that's a hundred percent right, and I, you know, again, I, you know, I think the thing that the administration at least is highlighting in, in some of the releases they have out is that this is information that is available. You know, it's not a real burden on anyone to provide it. They're just providing it right. at an earlier stage. Again, if we were audited, we'd be asked for this information almost immediately, and and here they're just saying, okay, let's give it to the IRS up front, and this saves a lot of you know, effort of selecting uh, audits kind of at random where, you you know, you or I get uh, randomly audited. They're not going to, I'm pretty good on my taxes, so they're not going to find any money there. Um, right. You know, and so right. they could they could select someone that maybe has more, um, is playing more games with the, with the tax code. So I guess the end goal here is that if you add in like the tax credits and then you're having the lower costs and some of the elements of college and or pre-K, uh, the goal is that, that part of this will be people saving money that will end up being going, that will end up going back into the economy. Yeah, I think that's the, that's part of what's happening here. I mean, again, it's, it's, it's something that we're, we're hoping to dive into a little more, uh, deeply in the next couple of weeks, but you know, you have this, these higher taxes on the, on the very rich, you know, people making more than a million dollars in income a year, it, it kind of frees up. So you're getting, you're paying down the debt with that money. Um, and then, so the burden of people down the income distribution, now they're, they don't have to pay down debt. They can make real investments. And so there's something here that, to be said that, hey, some of this is shifting who's doing the, the productive investment in the economy. You know, you or I or, or normal people can now invest in, in, in meaning, you know, we can invest in SpaceX and things like that rather than just having to pay down a share of, of the debt. And, and that's meaningful here. 
We're joined by Richard Prisanzano, Director of Policy Analysis for the Penn Wharton Budget Model. So what's next on the agenda for you guys? Because we've had you on at so many frequent periods of time. The information you're providing is just phenomenal. So what's next in the agenda? Yeah, the big. So we're going to do a deeper dive on these tax issues. I think we'll present some options for things like capital gains and kind of present some of the games that people can play and and how um, closing certain loopholes kind of pushes in other areas. And then again, kind of think we want to um, think about this redistribution. So again, you know, there's this talk of the the Biden administration being favored progressive, and I think that's bearing out in some of this. And we just really kind of want to get in there and 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 hopefully in the next couple of weeks we'll present that where it's like, hey, this is what we're seeing. These are the actions that, that different people are taking, you know, through the, the income distribution. And, and, and I think support that that the Biden administration is really this taking these progressive um, actions. It, it is interesting, I think, with the American Families Plan here, Richard, that uh, I think a lot of people would say that some of the areas that are uh, focused on here are very important. Something needs to be done in a lot of these different areas. The question is trying to find a way to do it without adding, uh, you know, a lot of debt to an already burgeoning debt load here in this country. Yeah, no, I mean, that's always this game that they're playing. You know, we have X, we want to do X in a spending program and we need to pay for it without adding debt. And again, I think here are the things that, you know, so like in, in easy things, I think some of the tax credits that were passed in the relief bill, they want to extend. And I think all of those things are good. Uh, those are positive changes. They, they do cost money and they add to the debt. So then I think there are pieces here that they've kind of gotten at. There is money in, in kind of closing the, the, the um, capital gains of death loopholes and some of these, these um, Medicare taxes on, on all income. Those are things that have real revenue. And I think, you know, again, I think in, in a pure sense, tax economists like myself would say this is a good policy. It's eliminating yeah. a, a difference or a tax wedge for nothing other. You know, it's not a real productive event. It's just like somebody has a tax advantage over somebody else. And, you know, that shouldn't be the case. And so here they're, they're, they're closing that and they're using that money in these, again, what we're calling productive ways, you know, education, spending, child care, um, things like that. And I guess this goes back to that discussion. I think we've had this in the past about the difference between good debt and bad debt when you're thinking about the development of your country for the next, you know, 50 to 100 years. Yeah. You know, again, you know, you know, you put all this money up front on, say, you know, again, think if we were in a situation where we had no uh, primary schooling paid for, that would be something that people would want to sign up for right away. That's a pretty big cost. Right. I mean, these are things that, you know, will pay off in the long run. It is, you know, it's not something that's going to show up really probably even in Biden's, um, you know, his four, his first four years here. Um, you know, it's going to be something that's going to be 8, 10, 12 years down the road as, as people start to, to age into these some of these programs um, and, and develop from obviously universal pre-K into primary school and then and then beyond. So, yeah, some of these effects, you just have to trust that, hey, these are good things. They're going to take a while. It is extra debt now. But but. Um, you know, there is a productive uh, effect down the line that will offset some of that. All right. Richard, great to have you back with us. Thank you very much for your time today. Hey, thanks, Dan. Thank you. Richard Prisanzano, Director of Policy Analysis for the Penn Wharton Budget Model. And by the way, if you would like to go read their report, you can do so now. Uh, just got posted uh, a little earlier this morning. Budgetmodel.wharton.upenn.edu. Really, the work they are doing is is phenomenal work led by Kent Smetters and obviously Richard uh, and a variety of other people there at Penn Wharton Budget Model. It is uh, 
phenomenal work, and it is very important work in the, the scope of what's going on with the U.S. economy right now. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.